0: You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Christophe here. So it's to be joined by the NLCLA co-boss, Lucia Rita Ortiz is here. She's back on The Zag. She loves podcasting so much she can't wait to be on. So let's not keep her waiting. Let's get to it. All right, Ms. Ortiz. What's it like being in charge of NLC? You took over in the summer, I guess. But yeah, it's been about six months. What do you think so far?
1: Well... had some pretty big shoes to fill. (laughs) Uh, We have a really amazing board. We've got an amazing chapter co-director. So it feels like something that's really exciting uh, with a lot of support and also realizing a lot of the work that goes on behind the scenes.
0: And then you'd been in selection before and we'll announce a new 2020 fellows for Institute and Engaged soon. But what was it like in being in that process, knowing that you're in charge and co-in-charge of the chapter?
1: It was a big responsibility. It's always felt like a big responsibility, um, but obviously it feels even more so now wanting to think bigger picture about the LA alumni um, community overall. Um, But I've I've always loved running selections uh, from both the logistics side of it and You know, thinking about what does it mean to have an equitable process, an accessible process, and also to involve the alumni community. Folks donate their time to review apps, to do interviews, and we're so, so grateful for that. Um, So it's always great to get to connect with folks through that process as well. Nice.
0: So I want to have you on, not necessarily for NLC stuff, but for real job stuff, because NLC, we know, doesn't pay the bills, unfortunately. But yeah, you had a really cool and important project that launched a couple weeks ago. And now that the dust has settled, I think you're in a better place to talk about it because you probably got some sleep afterwards. But give folks, first of all, the scoop where you work and then the uh, overall scope of the project, then we'll dive into some details.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to share a little bit more about this project. So I work for an organization called Promise 54, and we do education consulting focused on uh, talent, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, So our our thinking is that if we can create work environments where people can really bring their full authentic selves, um, it sets them up to do better work for students in education. And one of the projects I've been working on over the course of the last year is creating a series of what we call radically human DEI case studies. Um, And the goal is to really dive into what it actually looks like and feels like for an organization to engage in a DEI journey on the ground.
0: And how do you convince the orgs to let you do this?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, we're really fortunate to have really wonderful partnerships with a lot of organizations that we've worked through or come into contact with. And um, three organizations that we highlight in these case studies, uh, TNTP, Blue Engine, and College Track, Um, We were all really honest with them about what we were looking for, which is, um, you know, this project required organizations who were willing to be really vulnerable and share very honestly, um, not just their successes, but also their mishaps, you know, places where things didn't go well. And and, uh, it requires a lot of bravery and vulnerability. And uh, we were fortunate to find organizations who were willing to engage in that um, for the field, but also for their own learning and engage in a reflection process for themselves as well.
0: I think people probably have different conceptions of the phrase case study. So for some folks, it might mean just like a one pager and here's a narrative overview of a problem and you have to figure it out as a group. Some people have more elaborate definitions of what a case study is. What was your definition going into the project and how did it evolve over
1: time? It definitely evolved. I think when we initially started this project, we were thinking more of a traditional case study, which is you know five pages, and you present a problem of practice, and you know either leave it on a cliffhanger or you you talk through what the organization did to solve that specific problem. As we dove into the stories, though, um, and as we all know, anyone who is engaged in DEI work, you know. any any challenges, any problems in DEI are inherently intersectional. Um, And there's a lot that goes into a lot of variables, a lot of stories, a lot of experiences that go into any single challenge um, or pathway. So we realized that in order to do well by these organizations and their journeys and the work that they're doing, um, we needed to, to step away from a traditional notion of a case study. So if you go to um, the case studies website, which is case studiespromise 54org um, you'll see that these are interactive. They are long. They ha- we have multimedia on there. We have videos. Um, we have quotes. We have charts, graphs, um, because we really wanted to have a multidimensional way of telling the stories and also from multiple perspectives, knowing that any single perspective you know, is not going to be representative of an organization's journey. So wanting to capture as much of that as possible.
0: So when you got finished, what was the biggest... Surprise when you could take a step or two back and oversee and look at the work you had done with these three orgs. What really stood out to you as, like, I had no idea this was going to be the case?
1: I think the length, for sure. (laughs) Um, you know, we did a lot of interviews and a lot of digging for each of these organizations. And again, so, so grateful for all the people who were willing to put themselves, their experiences out there. Um, and it was, it was a lot to try to, it was a big challenge to try to figure out how do we package this in a way that acknowledges the complexity and, um, carries the reader through a journey in a way that makes sense to them, right? So finding that balance was really hard. And. I don't know if we if we hit it 100% but we did our best and we hope that we honored the journey of the organizations and and you know the experiences of the folks with whom we connected.
0: And you might be wondering what the case studies show, some of the lessons learned. We'll get into that when we come back after this short break. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Zag. Stay tuned. All right, so I'm sure people want to know what you found? Were folks super successful with DEI? Was it all over the board? What are the lessons to learn of things not to do with DI? Everyone is talking about this issue. Everyone is thinking about this for the most part in their organization. I think we see most often is the D being okay, like the diversity. But then what actually happens when folks get into an org is sometimes still really hurtful to folks, is still really challenging for people. Uh, so I'd love to know, yeah, what what should folks know that you found in these case studies? But don't tease all of it because you want them to go read it.
1: <laughs> I think the most important thing to frame is that um, the goal of these case studies was not to say, you know, here are three organizations who have arrived and who did all the steps, checked off all the boxes, and here they, you know, they won at DEI. <laughs> Rather, there are three organizations who engaged in their journeys in very different ways, are at very different stages in their journeys, um, had different entry points. And really the goal, the finding here is that there is no sequence of events that is exactly right for every organization but we do see some themes emerge um, and some themes that I'm sure if people read read the case studies um, many of these may sound familiar um, I've had people who read the case studies said you know you could substitute this this organization's name with my organization and that sounds exactly like us um, so there are different facets and themes that we see emerge that will I, I think will probably resonate across um, different organizations. Um, and some of those are overlapping across the case studies, and some of those are quite different. But the goal was to illuminate, you know, here is here are three organizations' journey, here, here we're pulling out some of the themes that may sound familiar or that we, we may see in our practice pretty consistently, and just highlight some of the practices, some of the experiences, Um, but the goal is not to lay out here is the path and here is the checklist of things to do. Um, When organizations try to approach DEI from a checklist standpoint, then they begin to erase the experiences of the folks they're trying to serve, right, of the communities they're serving, but also of their own staff. And it's really critical to start from our staff and listening, a listening standpoint to really understand, you know, what is the environment we are creating? What are our um, gaps? and then develop individualized ways to get there.
0: And then what role ultimately did you see leadership playing? We, we know it's important because the leader of an org is the leader of an org, but what takeaways did you see from what you found about when leaders can really influence DI in a positive way or when they can maybe stunt the growth of an org when it comes to these important topics? What kind of things should folks key in on when they read the case studies?
1: One of the things we find across the board is that leadership buy-in is really critical to meaningfully move DEI work forward in an organization. Um, Without leadership buy-in, it's very, very difficult. Um, Not to say it's impossible, but it's much more challenging. Um, But regardless of um, the level of buy-in, I think that's really critical. But one of the themes that we saw emerge very consistently is how much um, we rely on staff on more junior staff to do the agitating and very often this this falls into a dynamic of you know staff of color or staff from traditionally um, marginalized communities having to put themselves out there having to put their own traumas out there for the sake of the learning of the organization or of leadership and if leadership isn't positioned to listen um, that experience can be even more traumatizing you know to to step out in a brave way and say, hey, this is something I'm experiencing. It doesn't feel good. Um, and then to not feel heard, it further ingrains that sense of alienation, um, lack of inclusion. So it's really critical to have leadership that's not only bought in, but that's willing to take a listening stance um, and a learning stance and to learn from the the voices that are speaking up.
0: Did any of these orgs have someone on staff dedicated to DEI, some sort of equity officer or chief something or other of DEI?
1: Um, At various points. So it it depends on the organization. Um, Some we saw that did, some we saw that currently do, some we saw that did and now don't. So we see organizations go through various stages. Um, I think there are pros and cons to having, you know, one person who's in charge of DEI. The pro is that you have someone to champion the work and to continuously, well, first of all, they have the capacity um, and they're getting Compensated to do that work. Very often, we see when folks engage in DEI work, it's something that's on the side, and it's on top of my full-time workload. I'm being asked to essentially volunteer my time to do, you know, what is really critical work to the organization, and not being compensated for it. So that's that's an upside of having someone, you know, whose full-time job this is. The risk is um, it becomes easier for other folks to say, well, that's not my job. You know, DEI is that person's work, not my work, so I don't need to take responsibility for it. Um, so it's very important to make sure that everyone on staff and especially everyone on leadership in leadership positions uh, feels like they are a part of this work as well and it is their responsibility it is not delegated to, to one person
0: I think what's always interesting with these types of case studies or reports especially one and I think that's as powerful as as the one y'all created is what happens after it's out and what the initial response is can be one thing but then does it lead to action so our folks, in different orgs calling you saying like, Hey, can you do a case study on us? Or Hey, can you do a roadshow where you go through what you found and could work with us to figure out if lessons would apply to our org? What's, what's happened? What's been, but what about six weeks since it came out?
1: Yeah, we're still pretty early on and um, we're shopping around different conferences and um, have had interest from a variety of organizations who say, you know, Hey, we'd love for you to come present to our board so that we can reflect. Um, We've facilitated a few discussions on some of the case study themes with organizations or at conferences as well and have received very positive responses. Our hope is that people um, can engage with these case studies in a way that pushes them to reflect within their own organization as to where are we? Where do we fall you know, in these four different quadrants? Um, you know, What are the themes that are emerging in, in my experience and our experiences? And we will actually be doing a series of webinars with the three organizations um, starting in January um, so be on the lookout for those. And the hope is to also provide a little bit more direct access to the organizations featured so that folks can ask you know, lingering questions. You know, They read these case studies and say, oh man, I have so many questions. So to provide an opportunity for that as a way of engaging in deeper learning as well.
0: Uh, last thing, so give us the website one more time where folks can check these out.
1: Casestudies.promise54.org.
0: And before we go, how many times have you watched the In the Heights trailer?
1: I have refrained uh, and only have seen it twice.
0: Still, it's been out, like three years. <laughs> I've,
1: I've exercised immense self control in order to be productive in my day. How dating, many times have you
0: seen a live production of In the Heights?
1: Um, six that I can think of. Okay, There's
0: probably some more <laughs> that you don't think of. Okay, well, I'm excited for you. I saw that trailer. I was like, this person. I'm excited for the world. For the world. (laughs) And we're excited for you to listen to this episode and, of course, all the episodes that are on all the places you get podcasts. Over, I don't know, 160, 170 interesting progressive folks talking to us on the Zag. Thanks for listening and downloading and subscribing, all those things. Make sure to check out the case studies that Lucerizo mentioned. Until next time, we'll catch you soon.